name is Jennifer R. Farmer, and I'm the host of United Women in Faith's Faith Talks podcast. The Faith Talks podcast offers spiritual growth content to women of faith. I'm so happy to be with you today. I'm also um, very, very grateful for your continued support of our um, of, of this podcast. Today's topic is uh, is definitely um, a more somber one, and you know we we want to talk about gun violence in the U.S. Before I get into the specifics of um, of our our topic, I do want to note that this session is being recorded and it will be available on your podcast player. Um, in about a week, you'll also be able to find it on United Women and Faith's website around that time as well. Um, we are expecting one more guest, and her name is Reverend Rhonda Thomas. Reverend Rhonda, if you are on, if you could just raise your hand so that we can pull you over to the queue. So as I was sharing, um, today's topic is, is uh, more of a somber one. If you live in the United States, you are no stranger to gun violence. If you live in communities with high incidences of gun violence, you are likely traumatized and possibly even experiencing a level of PTSD. From Newtown to Buffalo to Uvalde to all the shootings that came before or came after, gun violence is becoming a defining part of our lives. If you live in the United States, you are you're no stranger to, to, to gun violence. From Uvalde, to Buffalo, to Newtown, to all the shootings that came in between or after, gun violence, unfortunately, is becoming a defining part of our lives. When we think of gun violence, uh, depending on where you're from, you may have different ideas of what it means. But when we say gun violence, I mean mass shootings, I mean um, uh, suicide by gun, domestic violence that involves gun, intra guns, uh, intracommunal violence, and also fatal police shootings. It seems like the headlines uh, regarding gun violence are unending. In 2020, Kennedy Maxey, just seven years old, she was killed after um, she was hit by a stray bullet after Christmas shopping with her family. In Philadelphia, just days ago, a young man lost his life playing basketball at school. And it was a, uh, it was a pickup game of basketball and it was after school hours. Um, Ozzy Osbourne recently said that he's leaving the U.S. due to gun violence. And the hip-hop community, rappers are slain regularly. But regardless of where you're from, what walk of life you come from, no one is immune. In 2022, we cannot go to concerts, parades, school events, church events, picnics without considering safety. A recent report came out by the University of Chicago, and it said that two in 10 people have had a personal experience or a connection with someone with gun, gun violence. Um, but 54% of Black Americans experienced gun violence, had a relative or friend who had been impacted by gun violence. That number was 27% with Hispanics and 12% for whites, uh, for people who are white. So again, this impacts all of us. It has a disproportionate impact on Black Americans, but no one is immune. Joining me today to talk about gun violence and the work that they're doing, um, how they've been impacted and also the work that they're doing is Reverend Rhonda Thomas. And Reverend Rhonda Thomas is the executive director of Faith in Florida. She's also a lead organizer and she heads up um, 
uh, Live Free Florida. And Live Free, Reverend Rondo, I'll have you talk about that as well. Um, my other guest and my other guest, she stepped in at the last minute uh, when someone else had to um, had to cancel is Stephanie Reed. And Stephanie Reed has a unique story, having experienced gun violence herself, but also um, in the position to love and to give grace to someone who's been on the other side of gun violence. Um, Stephanie has worked with Live Free, but she also worked with Life Camp. And I'll have Stephanie talk a little bit about Life Camp. So to get started, um, Reverend Rhonda, I'll start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that, tell us what Live Free is, and also if you can tell us about how you've been impacted by gun violence. Okay, thank you, um, Jennifer, and, um, and to the listening audience. Um, Live Free is a national organization that really, really focuses on reducing gun violence and mass incarceration um, with uh, over 20 states across the country. Um, me living in Florida and particularly Miami-Dade, um, I've been impacted by gun violence as well as organized around it. Number one, um, you know, for years I've buried, did funeral homegoing services for so many young black men and women not knowing that one day it would actually hit my door where my 23-year-old nephew, who was a firefighter for the city of Miami, was across the street from his home and paying his respect to a family, um, a loved one that he grew up with. And before he could cross the street to get back into his own yard, the shooters was at the um, wake and he got caught up in a crossfire and was murdered. Um, Therefore, the work that I do, you know, I started out by just doing grieving sessions for parents who've lost gun, uh, children to gun violence, not knowing that one day that um, my own brother, younger brother would need the same type of grieving session. Um, we, you know, in Miami-Dade, being such a large city, gun violence is almost a norm, whether it is a drive-by shooting, um, being shot by a police officer, or a mass shooting, it's almost a norm. And it's unfortunate. I literally live 20 minutes from Parkland. And, um, and to see that particular shooting and how it was embraced in bringing a level of comfort to families and just making sure justice would, was taken would take place is the, almost the opposite of what takes place every day in urban communities. So that's just a little bit uh, with my story and what we do. Um, I shared my perspective on, you know, how I define gun violence. Is there anything that you would add or that you would clarify around um, how encompassing gun violence is? Um, the only thing that I think I would add just by being an organizer is unfortunately, Gun violence is looked at differently depending on what lenses you're looking at. And I say that um, many times that I've, and it's unfortunate that when it's a mass shooting and it's and the shooter is white, it's, it's often diagnosed as mental illness, but it's not diagnosed like that in urban communities. It's um, the shooter was a thug. Um, and at the same time, there are still sets of family 
families who've lost a loved one to gun violence in their they just feel pain, pain and sorrow. And so, like I said, it's unfortunate that it all depends on what lenses you're looking out of on how it's being interpreted when it comes to gun violence. Um, Reverend Rhonda, for years, when I thought about gun violence, I thought about, um, I created, I held space for the person who had lost their life, their, their life. I didn't really appreciate that gun violence impacts the entire family, the entire community. Can you say something about that? When we say, you're so right. Um, in our way of organizing in South Florida, it impacts the entire family. It impacts communities um, such as businesses, because when we organize, we organize businesses, business owners, that has been impacted by gun violence based on what community it is because their, their business is impacted. One may be afraid to come to the barber or the hair salon or nail salon. So, um, our schools are impacted. So it's so important that it's looked at as the entire community of wherever the high level of gun violence to see the impact on whether it's a family member, a neighbor, business owner, our schools, the whole, the, our churches, the entire community at large is, is impacted in, in a negative way, in a painful way. Yeah. You know, um, you're, you are your clergy. And I remember you telling me, I wonder if you can share this with the audience, that after the mass shooting at, at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, you and your husband, you all were called upon to go to the, the site and offer um, pastoral care. Can you talk to us about what that was like? Um, well, um, well, and I remember it like yesterday. Um, we went, we were, we were called to go in that area. And, I, and it was the night of the shooting. And I was truly not aware or did not realize that those kids' bodies were still in the school and it's 10 p.m. Um, and it was a full investigation going on. I just, we just didn't think of that overall, but we joined prayer um, with families that were just waiting, you know, is my child in there or not? But from that, we also joined the community of really understanding what all was going on and how that community was impacted. It was impacted in a way of disbelief. They couldn't imagine this going on, but it also was embraced differently. Um, because during that week, during the memorial, we went to the memorial, which was at a park at um, in Parkland, and we noticed the difference on how it was being embraced. You know, it was dogs, the comfort dogs was flowing in to comfort families in grief. It was all kind of um, fast foods, restaurants, just giving away free food and, and just being an aid in whatever they possibly could. And 20 minutes from Parkland is Lauder Hill. And it's a known um, a Black community where a whole lot of gun violence take place. And it was in that community, it's treated the total opposite. Um, you were doing good if a McDonald gave you a happy meal, 
Um, and the shooting could have took place on the steps of McDonald's. So I noticed it was it, it was just treated like night and day, but also just to add the trauma that those kids experienced was just so they they just couldn't relate. And but the kids in an urban community, it was a norm. And we weren't really able to bring both sets of kids together because the kids in an urban community was really able to help kids from um, Parkland um, how to deal with their grief because that was not a norm for them. So um, it's unfortunate um, that one, it feels a norm. And then there's another group that's, this is just, it was traumatizing. Um, it should be traumatizing for everyone, but it's not actually looked at that way. And the feelings are not that way either. Mm -hmm. So um, you're talking to, there are over 300 people listening to this, this podcast. And then once it, uh, once it's uploaded, there'll be more. And a lot of our listeners, they, they want to know what they can do. Um, so what would you say to people who are, who are saying, you know, I've had my own experience. I know people who've been impacted by gun violence. Um, or, you know, I don't know anyone, but I want to be supportive. What would you say? Um, I think that if we look at gun violence as a whole and not based on where one lives or what one may have or not have, it's still a painful loss um, for a family, a community, um, um, other children. And um, if we can embrace it in a way of looking at, when we say something can be done to help prevent gun violence, it's not so much that we arrest everyone, um, but how do we prevent it in ways of, is there programs available? Um, can elected officials do more? Can they be intentional about putting um, um, in the budget uh, what, needs to be done to help reduce gun violence. And then voters holding elected officials accountable and saying every community deserves to be safe. This is our money, taxpayers' money. And I wanna give an example. One shooting in Miami Gardens cost the taxpayers $753,000 for one shooting, just one. Miami Gardens at one time was having five and six shootings a day. I mean, a week. Wow. Wow. And so when you look at that kind of cost that taxpayers pay, our elected officials can do more, much more than what they do. But then it's up to us to hold them accountable because we all deserve to live in a safe community. Um, you know, I've heard people characterize gun violence as a public health crisis. Can you can you say can you say more about that? I it is a public health crisis um, for many reasons. Um, number one is it it impacts um, a family's mental state, physical state. Um, number two is it's not healthy emotionally for anyone. Um, it's, it's overbearing for some of our hospitals. Um, 
it's it it's just it is it's just what it is it is a health issue overall it's families that don't have money to even pay for the survival and getting the care that it needs not alone families who don't have money to even pay for burials so you know one of the one of the things that's been most um surprising to me is uh reverend Rhonda and and uh, yvette moore knows this but last fall my son was shot and I was in Ohio when I got the call and I felt like everything in me sank. Like I felt like I literally was going to pass out when I was trying to figure out from the moment I got the call till I found out his status. And one of the things that um, was surprising is how quickly he was released from the hospital. And, um, you know, there was the physical wound, but then there was also the psychological wound of just knowing that um, your flesh has been pierced in that way. And the hospital gave him no support from a, um, a psychological standpoint, no support whatsoever. They, they, um, they bandaged him up, they got him together, they gave him pain medicine, but they gave him no support or no coaching on how to return to, to life and how to manage his mental state. Have you seen that happen in many instances? A lot of instances. Um... There are some people that actually leave the hospital with the bullet inside of them and they're sent home. Um, come back in 10 days and we'll remove the bullet. And mentally, they'll, that, first of all, that family is, is concerned. Number two, the victim is concerned. Will the bullet move? And the hospitals, aren't the, that was as far as they got, it went, it was the Band-Aid. And there was no mental support just as it's no support with victims who survive gun violence. Overall, it's very little support. I can't speak for every state, but I can definitely speak for Florida and certain counties in Florida that it's very little victim support and for victims' children um, as well. So that's a, a, a fight that's added to the ongoing fight of victims getting support families getting support, victims' children. And it's unbelievable. Even that elected officials can do more. And unfortunately, it's not. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so much for being with us. I want to turn to our next, if you can stay with us, stay as long as you can. Um, I want to go to our next guest, um, Stephanie Reed. Stephanie, thank you for fitting us in. Um, I hope you're as safe as possible while you're traveling. Um, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I apologize for all the background, but as I told you, I was in the middle of traveling. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. Okay. And if you need to go off camera, um, we, we understand. We want you to be safe. Thank you. So, um, Stephanie, can you tell us what your experience has been uh, with, with gun violence? Sure. Um, I would say about eight years ago, um, I worked with um, Rough Riders. So we were actually at a concert and I met Erica Ford. And meeting Erica Ford, if you don't know, Erica Ford is the CEO of Life Camp. Um, Erica Ford saw me working and she was like, I need you for uh, to be my program manager for Life Camp. I knew nothing about gun violence, the prevention programs. I knew about gun violence, 
I was a minister in church. I used to go to the prison, Westchester County Correctional Facility in, um, in Valhalla in New York. So I was highly involved with outreach and talking to the youth, but never was a part of any of those type of programs. I became the program manager for her, and that was the start of me learning everything I know now about gun violence. Um, also, I worked with Pastor McBride. I also worked with um, Live Free as well. I did the um, Fun Peace Tour where we went around to about 19 cities. Another one of my um, coworkers, Chico and Marcus, and we went around to about 19 cities to talk to grassroots organizations about the funding that came down from President Biden, the ARP funds that came down that they could use this to help to expand those organizations that was doing the groundwork. So that's how I started working, became a program manager and learned all the different um, hospital responders, the outreach workers, the uh, violence prevention workers. So that's how I learned and started doing this work. Okay, and tell us again, what is Life Camp? Life Camp is an organization that uh, Erica Ford started, uh, ooh, I would say about 12 or more years ago in Queens, New York, Jamaica, Queens. And she started that because she used to do a lot of outreach and she used to go out and always trying to prevent. She doesn't even have kids, but she was well known in the community. Um, Erica Ford started this organization so that she can stop a lot of the gun violence and it has affected many numbers have come down since she started in Jamaica, Queens. And this is a gun violence awareness program that she does outreach. And I heard you uh, talk to uh, speak about um, hospital when you went making sure that you got that, that information from the hospital and those resources and that you were treated correctly, stayed the appropriate time. So we had hospital responders, we had outreach workers, meaning some kids were going back and forth to court just to make sure they go to court, making sure that they go and see their lawyers, they're going to parole. And then you also had those that were in the street that were credible. Some of my managers that worked under me that were credible were people that came out of jail for murder. I mean, they were credible in the streets. So those were the people that went out in the field. So she had that kind of work. And now she's doing a lot of uh, mental. She has a young lady, Kepper, that works with her. And they do a lot of things now for the mental health as well. And Stephanie, um, we're very concerned about you. Are, are you okay? Are you able to, um, did we lose you? Oh, no, you're, okay, you're still, I'm still there. here. That was Reverend Ron. I'm still here. Okay. Oh, I'm not okay. driving. I'm in the back. I'm not driving. So you might see okay. me moving. I'm not driving. So I'm okay. safe. <laughs> Thank okay. you. All right. We're, we, I've got comments in the chat feature. People are worried. Okay. Uh, right. I'm safe, everyone. Thank you. I'm <laughs> safe. Set it up. I do have my boss that I'm working with now, my other coworkers in the car. They have been okay. so nice. They're, they're sitting quietly to have, to allow me to finish the interview, but I am in the back seat. I know y'all okay. see things, but look, I'm not driving. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Thank you. All right. So, um, you know, I, I gave a definition of gun violence in terms of how I understand it. Is there anything that you would add to, to that when you think about when you think about gun violence? Um, when I think about gun violence, um, I think the biggest thing that you guys already talked about was the public health crisis. Um, and Reverend Rhonda probably can attest to this. In church, um, I'm older, so in church we were taught when things happen, you just prayed about it. We was never taught to go get counsel. We was never taught to go get resources. We were taught, though, come to the altar and get prayer. And I'm talking from my perspective, from my faith and my background, many other faiths might be on the phone. However, I'm so glad in this age and time that I am the first as a minister over 20 years that I will tell people, go get help, go talk to somebody. And we're now open in this community in this age now, which I'm thankful that we're open for that um, transparency 
where people are able to express themselves, whether it is a clergy, right? But we're in a place that is more than prayer. That's that's what I'm trying to get to. So when we feel like, when we know now that it's a public health crisis, when we figure now that this does, deals with mentally, because when you talk about gun violence, it don't just happen. People don't just pick up a gun and shoot. It's because they've been around it. It seems normal. We have kids that are our ages that have kids that are young, been in gangs. We've seen it. We've seen it all. And I guess Reverend, Ron, Reverend um, Thomas can tell you when we go to certain places, we we went to elementary school and we see kids that know how to do uh, gang signs and everything because that's their past and that's their family. So we want to make sure that we're giving people information, letting them know it's okay to talk to somebody. It's okay to sit on a couch. It's okay to go and talk to a clergy. It's okay to talk to. It doesn't even have to be of your faith. That's one thing I can say about Life Can. We have something called God Squad. And with God Squad, um, actually is of all faiths because when these shootings happen, you got to be able to come and get people where they are. So they might not be of my faith. So I got to be able to call my Muslim brother and say, hey, these people are Muslim. I need you to come out. And so I've got to be able to do that. So I think by us being open as different faith-based organizations and being open to other religions and knowing that we're not the only ones because I'm a Christian, that I, that's my only faith because I believe in Jesus Christ, right? But knowing that it's going to save somebody's life for me to get my Muslim brother out there because he can relate. So that thing, it really helps that we're now in a time that people are seeing that we do need help, that it is more mental than anything because everything starts with the thought. Everything starts in your mind. And when you realize that it starts in your mind that one, the worst part about uh, gun violence is retaliation. That's the biggest thing. We have to move people with life camp. We have to move families because of retaliation. You have one who got shot, one who shot somebody, one who's living. And we have people in programs that we're working, as they say, on both sides of the gun. Because you have a family that we've been taking care of and trying to keep them off the street that shot somebody that's in our program. So now it's like life camp, you're taking sides. No, we are on the right side, which we're helping both families. So we're attending a funeral to one and we're getting a lawyer to another. I heard you say on both sides of the gun. And I yes. think that that's so, it's so interesting. I also heard um, Live Free was the first organization that I heard say that we have to be concerned for the victim and the shooter. Because yes. the shooter, they need they need help as well. Um, and I, I just heard you say on both sides of the gun. And can you just can you say say a little bit more about that? Sure. On both sides of the gun, a little bit about what I was saying was um, basically in this work and for life camp, for example, my son is in jail for murder. It wasn't with a gun, but it was a knife. And having to go into a courtroom as a mother, as a minister, believing in Jesus Christ, raise your son in the, in the, in the church. And you have to sit in a courtroom with another family. That's both sides of the gun in a whole nother situation when I'm dealing with both sides of the gun working, right? So when I'm working with both sides of the gun, working with Erica Ford, this is a this is one of our uh, pros, pro, pro, prospects that we have, one of the kids that we have come in. The kid come in, we've been going to court, which we've been telling you to get rid of the gun. We've been telling you, you know, do this, do that. And then he shoots somebody. Come to find out, he shoots somebody that's in our program as well. So we have two families that believe in life camp, taking sides. And now sometimes I even had employees that I couldn't put a part of the meeting because you remember, they're all part of the community. They're all working with us. That's their niece. That's their nephew. I brought up this one. I had to actually separate um, the workers and the staff because you had both sides of the gun. So you can imagine the hurt that I would say with gun violence is life and death. You either life in jail. My son got 17 in life. Life in jail or you, you lost your life. So at the end of the day, 
having on both sides of the gun, we have to still mentor. We also have to still be there. We have to attend the funerals. We have to be there so there's no retaliation. And then as an organization, sometimes it's really hard because people will say you're taking a side. No, we're, we're taking both sides because when you do that, it mentally affects both families, whether they lost it or whether their child is living and in jail. I appreciate you saying you saying all this and I appreciate your time today. The thing that I think that we don't appreciate is the trauma that comes from gun violence, regardless of what side you're on. Mm -hmm. And that trauma is not something that you just talk about and you get over that trauma. It needs to be healed. Like it has to be, it has to be, you have to heal from that. And I just don't feel like I hear people talking enough about the trauma associated with gun violence. What do you think? Um, I think you can't deal <laughs> with the trauma and without dealing with the triggers, right? It's because yes, sometimes you. we have trauma and we don't even know we have that trauma until we're triggered. I have had people who have been my leads in the in the streets, great leads, very credible. They hear a gunshot, they have been triggered. They might stand still, they're stuck. They didn't even know they had that trigger. So until we find out the triggers, then we can deal with the trauma. Because a lot of our people, and especially our African-American, we are in denial. We don't want to say we have a trigger. Oh, I'm good. I did my time in jail. No. You know what, what happened when you did your time in jail? You was used to somebody telling you when to eat, when to sleep, when to get up. So when you get out, you always waiting. And sometimes we deal with that with their relationships. Somebody always telling them what to do. You have males who are our kings, who are supposed to be out here leading. And they're still waiting for somebody to tell them what to do because they've been in jail so long that somebody told them when to eat, to sleep, when to move, when to sit down, when to get up. And then it's now in their head that way. They don't even realize they're functioning that way. So at, at the end of the day, we should really make sure that we deal with triggers and trauma, because sometimes people don't know their trauma until they know their triggers. They don't know that they're going to get stuck when they hear a gunshot. They don't know that when they see hear sirens, that it makes them function a different way. And these could be some of your best workers and not only just workers, just people in life. We walk down the street, we hear gunfire. We're not part of an organization. You know, I heard people say, well, what can I do? There's a lot to do. There's churches out here. If anybody on here from a faith base, there are churches. We yeah, need Stephanie, to have safe havens. Yeah, Steph Stephanie, you're talking. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I know we pulled you in kind of late, but um, this this audience is all all women of faith connected with the the Methodist awesome. church and and men men as well, mostly connected with the Methodist church. So you're talking to people of faith, and the question comes up: What can we do? Couple of things you can do. One is faith based. Especially, this is an honor to be on here. You have a facility. These kids and these people in the street need a safe haven. When we went on the tour with the fun piece, my thing was. How about a church being open 24-7? We have a police station open. We have a hospital. 24-7 where there's a safe haven. There's some sort of sign. I started doing that with Rough Riders. There's a sign in the window of barbershops. Everybody go to the barbershop, beauty parlors, and churches, or faith-based. And you put the sign up. When a child sees that or somebody in trouble, they know this is a safe haven. I can go here, and I'll be safe. I can go here, and I can talk to someone. That's one. The second thing you can do is get involved because as Reverend Thomas can tell you, we have faith, uh, gun violence awareness programs throughout the whole nation. We only went to 19 cities. There's usually not a state or a city that these programs are not in. And if we have to make sure you have that, Jennifer, we'll give you a list of all of the organizations. You can be a part, you can volunteer. Um, a lot of things that 
a lot of times where we need the community is when we call for when somebody gets shot and somebody passes away or we have a shooting, then we have something where we go on the side of the street and we're out there that same day. That's when we need the community. That's when we need people to see the faith coming out. We have them open up with prayer. We have them, you know, speak. We just go on the corner where it happened. And then we give our information. So there's a few ways. I Like I said, it would be like getting with your church and making sure your, your church has an outreach for this type of program. And then connecting with the people that do the work on the ground in your area. Yeah. You know, um, I love that because uh, when, my, when my son, uh, when he was injured last year, I called Pastor Mike McBride, who founded Live Free. And he put me in touch with ministers in D.C. Um, and they were able to talk to my son in a way that I could not. And they, you know, they were also able to talk to me from where I was, from, from where I was sitting. And that was just, um, that, that was when I felt hope, you know, when I said, okay, there are, there are people who understand and there are people who deal with this. Now, let me ask you, and I want to bring Reverend Thomas back in. Um, let me ask you this. So we, we talk about gun violence and for some people they say, well, it's as simple as putting the guns down, but I feel like it's deeper. Like, I feel like if there aren't good jobs, if there aren't um, education spaces that are safe and, and, and welcoming, I feel like it's bigger than just putting the gun down. But can you talk about what we can do to prevent gun violence? Um, I, I would say resources. That's the biggest thing. Um, finding out what these kids like um, and what they like to do. And like um, Erica Ford has an RV and she goes around. She has a little studio in the back because most kids are into music some sort of way, whether it's producing or whether they're rap or whatever it is. But that time that they spend on that RV or that time that they spend on um, playing basketball, we have something called midnight basketball. Just having, being there, that means you're not on the street. And then also access to guns, right? Every, if it's a lot of people on here, depending on your state, I'm in Atlanta, I'm from New York, but Atlanta, you can get, anybody can get a gun. Anybody can get a gun and you can walk around and showing the gun. You know, so it depends on the area and that goes back into the politics and the laws and the, the bills that are passed based on the state and what you can have. I think Atlanta is the worst and we have the worst shootings there as well. But New York, you're not supposed to have a gun. And, you know, it's the access to me. It's the access to having these guns. And then it's also the states that you in and how you vote in the bills that are passed on how you can get the gun access. But the last thing is, is the resources, finding out what the kids like, just taking time to hear them. You know, everybody doesn't want to be an athlete and everybody does not want to be a rapper. <laughs> there are some young people out here that want to be an artist, you know, just paint. There's some people out here that, that want to do poetry. There's some people out here that want to do other things. Every Black kid does not want to be a basketball player, football player, or a rapper. And Reverend Rhonda, let me, let me come to you. In terms of like, um, how do we prevent gun violence? What do you say? I, I want to definitely, um, Stephanie is right on it. <clears throat> some of these kids, and, I, and I, some of them are not just kids in age. Some are 18 and older who missing a parent in the home, don't know who the real parent is and never been mothered or fathered, and that missing link the streets taught them. And so they don't know anything else. And, and that's when those resources come in and being able to bring some type of balance and normalcy of what we would once call what's we what we once called normal um into their lives um being a listening ear um a listening ear 
and showing some type of compassion and um, giving them just listening has made a huge difference. And you'll be surprised. One will put a gun down because no one has ever told. Um, I, I met a young man and I asked him, I said, why you, what's the problem? What's up with the gun? And and I said, I care about you. And he asked me, what make me care so much? Because no one has ever told him they cared about it. And so, you know, many times we're looking for big things and it's the simple things that we, you and I may take advantage of. And these kids are so smart because you can remind me, Dave, uh, these young men, 16 and 17, was telling me how to make a gun um, with a 3D copier. And I said, well, the military will love your brain um, if you're able to do this. And so it's, it, 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 it's, it is some of the simple things. And resources are huge. One may need a job. One may want to go to school or go back to school and being able to provide some of those simple things can make a difference in whether a shooter put a gun down. And if he puts the gun down, he can save his own life as well as um, being um, avoiding being incarcerated. So, so I totally agree with Stephanie. And the church is always huge. Um, and if the church and the church doesn't have to be in the building, is that whatever your faith tradition is that can lead one to not cause more havoc or danger for himself or the community is huge. So when you think about um, this is to both of you, the work that you do, I'm, I know it's hard. Are there any scriptures that that comfort you that you know when you feel discouraged, you turn to? I turn to two things. Um, I turn to a scripture, especially the one, because I have so many concerns in the Bible when Philippians says, be anxious for nothing, and I need that. Um, but secondly, I turn to a quote that Tupac made. And young people, you know, sometimes they don't want to hear, you know, we have to be open enough in meeting people where they are. And Tupac, and I'm paraphrasing it, made a statement that um, he couldn't change the world completely, but he knew if he could spark the brains that could. And so that's the way I look at, I can't do it all. And I keep that in mind where I won't wear my own stuff out mentally. But if I could just spark the brain that could help change the world is a blessing overall. And so I, I, I like quoting some of Tupac quotes because young people can relate to it. And then they're surprised, what are you doing? Or how do I know who Tupac is and quoting Tupac when I'm a preacher? So meeting people where they are actually draw people. So that's what I do. <laughs> Stephanie, any, any scriptures that encourage you? Um, there's a few. Um, many, many people that know me know that DMX was my brother. And his favorite, favorite scripture was the weapons will form, but they won't prosper. That was his, that was, that was what he came to. Now, a couple of other scriptures that I, that I love to use, and I really use it for myself to stay, keep myself encouraged, which is having done all the stand, just stand. Some, sometimes you don't have to say nothing, just stand. Because if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything, right? So, and then in Ecclesiastes, talk about it's a time and season for everything. 
So that means we will cry. That means we will get hurt. So that scripture lets me understand that, guess what? We're going to go through some different things. And I don't tell somebody not to cry. Embrace whatever you're feeling. Sometimes I just told somebody the other day, get in your car. If you feel like screaming, scream. He just lost his grandmother. I said, whatever you're feeling, embrace it. Because if you don't embrace it and you bottle it up, it turns into other things. And then you and then you come out and you do things to other people or, or you say things to other people you really don't mean because whatever's in you is what's going to come out. So Ecclesiastics really helped me in different situations and allowing people to be themselves and even myself, even things that hurt me. Like sometimes people think because we're ministers um, that nothing affects us. We just have a scripture and that's it. No, Ecclesiastes says it's a time and season for everything, everything under the sun. So we will hurt. We will have some pain. Without that, we can't, we're we more than conquerors because we conquered something, right? So we had to go through something. And he said that he, our trials and tribulations come what? To make us strong. So if you don't go through no trial or tribulation, how strong are you really are? You really don't know how strong you are until you go through something. So just, yeah, that's, that's a few scriptures. I'm sorry. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. All right. So um, I know that you all both gave me more time than, than you had. Um, are there any final thoughts that you want to share with, um, with our audience before we wrap? This is Stephanie. Um, I want to share myself. If there's anyone here, Jennifer, you have my information. If there's anything, like I said, we can help in something, maybe not now, you know, when it doesn't hit our home, it doesn't hit the same, you know, but it might come a time that you remember something that we said. And if there's a way that we can help you with resources or connect you with any other organizations, or we can help you start something at your church. Just um, Jennifer has my information and I just want to be able to be another resource. And I just want to, um, first of all, thank you, Jennifer, and thank you for just this podcast, because I think it, the more people hear about what actually takes place with gun violence and reducing it is a plus to us all, because I think every community deserves to feel safe. Our seniors, our children, they deserve that. And so I just want to just say, the more we work together, um, I don't fall in the no snitch generation, so please don't do nothing around me. Uh, <laughs> but um, the more we work together as one, I think we can find a way to help protect and keep one another safe as well. Well, um, with that, I see that um, Elder Stephanie Reed has put her contact information in the chat and um, uh, Reverend Rhonda, you're welcome to do that. I just want to say to Reverend Rhonda and to, and to Elder Stephanie, I know you all are very, very busy. You're probably heading into a bunch of other meetings. So thank you so much for, um, for speaking so passionately and bringing your wisdom and also your time. And to our audience, um, I, someone asked a question. Jennifer, I, let's see if we have an encore request. Yes, absolutely. So one of our... Um, um, one of our audience members said, you know, is it possible to invite some of our Faith Talks guests to the United Women in Faith monthly meetings? Absolutely. If you're interested in having Reverend Rhonda or um, Elder Stephanie or anyone else who we've had on Faith Talks, just email me and I'll be happy to, to connect you. And I think they're putting their, their contact information in the, in the chat. Yes, it's in the chat. So we'll give you a minute to record that and you can certainly reach out to them directly. But listen, 
Um, 300 of you, over 300 of you turned out this afternoon to, to, um, to learn more about gun violence. And I'm sure this was not an easy conversation, uh, especially if you've been personally impacted. So thank you for, for being with us and thank you for your patience. And um, Stephanie and, and Reverend Rhonda, uh, I'm just praying spe special blessings on you all as you do this important work. <music>